Hello, and welcome to Campus Crime Chronicles. I'm your host, Nicole Turner, college professor, PhD student, and true crime addict. In every episode of this podcast, I take a deep dive into some sort of true crime that occurred on a school campus or is somehow associated with a college or university in some way. For each episode, I rate the seriousness of the crime from one to five on my very own serious crime scale with one being completely not serious, possibly even a little humorous from time to time, to five being very serious. This episode is rated a five. It's one of those stories that will literally make you say, what the? Okay, sorry guys. I'm trying not to cuss on my podcast. I'm really trying hard because I know that there might be some little ears, you know, If they're not listening to it, they might just be an earshot. And so I'm trying not to cuss a lot. (laughs) I can't promise that I'm always going to succeed, but I will say I'm trying. (laughs) But anyway, this story will literally make you say, like, what the heck? And it's sure to infuriate you beyond all measure. The truth is, most murders are senseless. But this one tops the charts in random asinine killings. It's the story of Australian baseball player Christopher Lane, who was attending college at East Central University in Oklahoma. While on a training run, Christopher was shot in cold blood and killed, then left on the side of the road. All because some seriously messed up teenage kids were bored. That's it. That was the motive, according to police. This episode is titled Senseless Murder of Boredom. So without further ado, let's get started. Two-year-old Chris Lane grew up in Oak Park, Australia, which is a suburb of Melbourne, Australia. Melbourne is a booming metropolis with more than 5 million people. Chris was a natural athlete, to say the least, skilled in several sports, but he was particularly good at football, or footy, as it's often referred to by the Aussies. According to our handy Google search, footy is a contact sport that appears to be a cross of American football and rugby, although I'm not super great at sports or necessarily understanding all of them, so I could be misinterpreting that, but I mean, that's definitely what it looks like and sounds like to me. Either way, this version of the sport, footy, was actually first played in Melbourne in 1859, so it was definitely natural for it to be super popular in Australia. However, Chris was also good at another sport, one that, according to sources, has a small but devoted tight-knit following in Australia. That sport is baseball, America's pastime. Chris started playing t-ball at the age of five, and when he was little, he would eagerly await his dad to come home from work, who was an accountant and often worked long hours, so they could go for a throw in the yard. And no matter how tired his dad was, he couldn't say no. And Chris always got his 
throw. Chris just loved baseball and was passionately devoted to it, so he continued playing while growing up through the Essendon Baseball Club in suburban Melbourne. It was ultimately baseball that would lead him to the U.S. A coach from Redlands Community College, a two-year junior college in El Reno, Oklahoma, is actually the one who traveled over 9,000 miles across the globe to Australia to recruit Chris. The coach, Matt Nugent, had contacts through the Essendon Baseball Club and often recruited Australian players because of their dedication to the sport. Plus, they were friendly and outgoing, and Nugent just liked them. When he went to Australia and worked Chris out, he knew immediately that Chris was someone he wanted on his team. So, Nugent offered Chris a scholarship to come play at the small college in El Reno which is significantly less populated than Melbourne. El Reno is located about 28 miles west of Oklahoma City and only has a population of about 19,000. Needless to say, it was a significant change of scenery and pace for Chris. But regardless, Chris was excited to go to Oklahoma because it was literally helping him fulfill his dream of not only playing baseball at the collegiate level, but also just being able to play in the U.S. Plus, he was getting a paid-for education, which was another major goal in his life. Coach Nugent was just as excited about Chris coming to play for him as Chris was about making the big move. According to reporting by Jenny Carlson for The Oklahoman, Chris was a good player, a catcher to be exact, but he was an even better team leader with a positive attitude and infectious smile, something that you don't always find in young college athletes. According to an article in the Washington Post, Nugent said, quote, I believe people are born to lead and getting to know Chris in Australia, I knew pretty early on that he had the personality and charisma to be a leader. He was a good baseball player, but his physical abilities were overshadowed by his leadership skills. He was just the best. He could see where other players were coming from, speak to them in his own way, and calm them down in key situations, end quote. However, in 2009, shortly after Chris arrived in the U.S., he tore his labrum joint in his right shoulder, his throwing shoulder. This injury caused Chris to undergo surgery, which also meant he was out for the season. There would be no baseball for at least a year while he was rehabbing the shoulder. This also meant that Chris could have jumped right back on the plane and turned around to head back home to Australia. But he didn't. He stayed and worked on getting better because that's just the kind of person he was. Coach Nugent said he knew Chris was disappointed and bummed because he wasn't getting to play that first year, but he didn't show it. Instead, Chris pressed on and kept a good, positive attitude. Nugent said, quote, He was excited to go to rehab so he could get healthy, so he was happy to be at Redlands even if he wasn't playing baseball that first year, end quote. But not playing baseball for a while also meant Chris had some extra time on his hands. And during that time, he soon met Sarah Harper at a college party. Sarah was a fellow student and athlete at Redlands Community College. A sweet, beautiful blonde from Duncan, Oklahoma, she played on the golf team for the school, and she caught Chris's attention right away. And Sarah 
couldn't resist his Australian accent, of course. I mean, Australian accents are personally my favorite. That's actually what my Siri is set to. And it makes me feel super exotic to drive down the road getting directions from a guy with an Australian accent. So I totally get it. But for Sarah, it it was more than just his accent. The two just clicked. And Sarah was attracted to Chris's demeanor and how he seemed to calmly and effortlessly deal with everything. The two quickly became inseparable and several of Chris's teammates who called him Laney as a nickname, Chris Lane, so they called him Laney, would joke around and give him a hard time for spending so much time with Sarah, but they all saw how happy she made Chris and really how happy the two of them were together. One of Chris's teammates, Marshall Ville, said the two were, quote, perfect together, end quote. To me, it sounds like it was one of those natural romances with effortless chemistry and endless conversation. You know, the best kind. Regarding Chris and Sarah, Coach Nugent even said, quote, you kind of had that feeling that they were going to spend a lot of their lives together, end quote. And for the next several years, they did just that. Well, at least as much as you can while you're in college. After playing two years at the junior college level, Sarah ended up transferring to Oklahoma Christian University in Edmond, which is the closest suburb north of Oklahoma City, to play golf and finish her degree. When Chris finished up his first two years of baseball at Redlands a year after Sarah, because, you know, he didn't play for a year, so it put him like one year behind her, he actually had a slew of college options that he could go to after those first two years. But he ultimately decided to transfer to East Central University in Ada, Oklahoma, because, well, it was still in Oklahoma, and so was Sarah. Plus, he was offered a scholarship to play baseball there, too, so for him, it just all worked out. And Ada is only about an hour and a half drive from Oklahoma City, so the two were still able to easily continue their relationship. In the summer of 2013, just before Chris's senior year at East Central, Chris spent the summer back in Australia with his family. Later, in July, Sarah joined him for the remainder of the summer. Then, on August 14, 2013, the two returned back to Oklahoma and were staying with Sarah's parents in Duncan until Chris had to go back to Ada to start the fall semester. So, To put it into perspective of all of these towns in Oklahoma that I keep rattling off, Ada is where East Central University is located. It's a smaller town of about 17,000 people. Duncan, on the other hand, where they were staying with Sarah's parents and where Sarah was from, is slightly larger than Ada with about 22,600 people, but Duncan is about an hour and a half west of Ada. On Friday, August 16th, 2013, just a couple of days after returning to the U.S., Chris and Sarah woke up later than normal because they were still off a bit from traveling, and they were experiencing some major jet lag. I mean, there is a huge time difference between Australia and Oklahoma. I actually live in Oklahoma, and it's currently 5.24 p.m. on a Wednesday, Yeah, it's already 8.24 a.m. the next morning on Thursday in Australia. So I can only imagine how tired and jet-lagged they must have been. But after they woke up, Chris made him some toast with peanut butter and honey. Then he and Sarah went to the local GNC because he wanted to buy some protein powder for his fall baseball workouts that were about to start up. 
afterward, the two went back to Sarah's parents' home and Sarah cooked them some lunch, grilled chicken and veggies, before she had to be at work at 2 p.m. Sarah, being the outstanding college golfer that she was, was filling in as the golf pro at the Duncan Golf and Tennis Club, which was near her home. The two of them, Chris and Sarah, went to the golf course a little early and played six holes before Sarah began her shift. Then, before he left, Chris told Sarah he was going home to pack for school, which would begin Monday, just after the weekend, and then he was going to go for a run because he wanted to stay in shape and get ready for the baseball workouts that soon awaited him. Sarah asked him if he would come back to the pro shop after he was finished with all of that to keep her company, and of course he said yes. But as he headed out that day, that would be the last time Sarah ever saw Chris alive. On August 16th, 2013, at around 2.55 p.m., Chris was running down Country Club Road in Duncan. Meanwhile, three boys, yes, I said boys because that's exactly what they were. They were teen boys aged 15, 16, and 17, watched Chris from a dilapidated house across the street where they were hanging out in. Well, that's what some sources say. However, the youngest teen would later testify that they were not in the old home. Instead, he said they were stopped at a red light and saw Chris from down the road. Regardless of how or from where they saw him, the three of them rode in a black Ford Focus and, for only reasons they know, they approached Chris from behind and one of the teens pointed a twenty-two caliber revolver out the window and shot Chris in cold blood. The bullet entered through Chris's back, penetrating arteries and both of his lungs. The teens then sped away. Two minutes later, at approximately 2.57 p.m., a woman, Joyce Smith, was driving by on Country Club Road when, according to a Vanity Fair article, Joyce literally saw Chris fall down into the ditch. When she approached and realized he was covered in blood, she immediately called 911. Meanwhile, A contract painter, Richard Rhodes, who had been painting a house nearby, heard a loud pop. So he rounded the corner to find Chris sprawled out in the ditch and Joyce on the phone with a 911 dispatcher. He described Chris as gasping for air every 30 to 45 seconds. At some point during the call, another woman, a nurse, showed up and she and Rhodes began administering CPR. After about six to seven minutes, the nurse told Rhodes to stop, that Chris was gone. At that point, Rhodes said, quote, she reached over and shut his eyelids and I put my shirt over his face, end quote. Just then, after about seven minutes, the dispatcher asked Joyce about Chris's condition. Has he stopped breathing? She asked. Yes, they said he has, Joyce told the dispatcher. According to an article in Vanity Fair, it took the first emergency vehicle seven minutes and three seconds to arrive on scene. But unfortunately, Chris had already taken his last breath prior to their arrival. But he was officially pronounced dead at Duncan Regional Hospital at 3.47 p.m. The rest of the story covers the possible motives for this heinous crime, events leading up to the crime on the part of the killer's the aftermath left in the wake of Chris's family and friends, and the trial and sentencing for each of the teens involved. But that will have to wait for part two of the episode because I want to cover this story in its entirety, 
leaving no stone unturned and sharing with you just how devastating and tragic this crime was. I'll also reveal some shocking updates regarding the youngest teen involved in Chris's murder, so you won't want to miss it. For now, though, I'd like to leave you with a radio interview that Chris had after he came to Oklahoma. He discusses the opportunity that baseball gave him to pursue an education, and it sheds some light on his kind and sincere personality and demeanor. Also, I won't blame you if you two get swept away in Chris's wonderful Australian accent. Okay, so you were a member of the 2008 VIS scholarship program and the state team in, in 2008. Tell me, how old are you and how did you actually come to, to get to this position where, where you've got what is quite a marvellous opportunity? Um, well, I basically began playing baseball with when I was five years old and I just started, just started as most people do, playing t-ball at the club. And it's obviously a, it's a really good place to play and through all the all the people at the club, they basically keep you and all the great coaching staff we have down there. They they um, mentor you and moving up the ranks. Eventually, it became an opportunity to come and play over here. And speaking to a couple of people is is one of those things, you know, where you've got to put yourself out there and call around to see see what kind of schools would be interested. And I was lucky enough that the school over here, Redlands, wanted me to come play for them. And yeah, it's basically how it happened. It was a long process, but Certainly worth the work. And how old are you now, mate? Uh, now 19. Okay, so 19. And, and, and what's the next step when you finish the education part over there is the hope that you get picked up by a, um, is it called a minor league team over there? Oh, yeah, there's, um, that's always one of the aspirations for any kid that plays, plays college baseball. But I think most importantly right now for me, it's getting, getting the education and getting the, the bonus of, being a, a student athlete is you get the, the the cheaper education. So if I get my education sorted and everything goes right, it's always a it's always a possibility. It would certainly be a dream. But you know, you can only work hard and I've got hopefully four years, fingers crossed, over here. So there's plenty of opportunity to pull my hand up and see how far I can go. You've got some blokes there to look up to. Are they are they pretty accepting of Australians over there, the Americans? Oh yeah, they love they love us over here. They um they love the accent and with Australians growing their name in the baseball community, especially all the guys. You know, every year you hear about another guy making the leagues, and especially in the colleges over here, they love the Australian guys. They like the way we work. They like um they like the way we go about our business playing baseball. Certainly, one of the things when you grow up in a sport that's smaller back home but expanding, you've always got to work hard. And that's one of the things they love over here, the, the hard work we put in and how we work. So, yeah, they love us over here. What an amazing opportunity you've got, mate. I can kind of hear the excitement in your voice. You're actually really enjoying even talking about it now, aren't you? Oh, yeah. So, I've, only been, I've been over here for about two months now and to honestly say I've enjoyed every minute of it, all the hard work, all the time. It's certainly a great experience I've got right now. That brings us to the end of Part 1 of Chronicle 9, but... Please stay tuned for part two to hear the rest of the story. As always, please feel free to leave me a review or comment on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm loving bringing you these stories every couple weeks, but as much as I love telling them, I'd love some feedback from my listeners even more. Okay, that's it for today. Bye, y'all. 
Campus Crime Chronicles is researched, written, and recorded by me, Nicole Turner, and it's edited and produced by Big Mad Media. Tune in again in two weeks for part two of this chronicle.